Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the rest of the United Arab Emirates. Well, long time ago it was just oil. But these days it's also tourism, business in general. Witness all those gleaming tower blocks that one sees in photos. The growth of the economy over recent years has been staggering. And that's led to ever-increasing numbers of businesses planning to expand there. Some simply use the Emirates as a base from which to service the whole Middle East and Indian Ocean regions. But... There's an increasing number that recognise its importance and its value for doing business in the country itself. It's got an open economy, the income per capita is very high, and economic diversification away from oil and gas has been very successful. The country has changed dramatically from being a poor region of small desert principalities as it was 50 years ago to the success story you see today. The government now spends a lot on job creation and infrastructure. It's home to two global air hubs, each of which has one of the world's largest airlines as its home. Free trade zones with 100% foreign ownership and zero taxes encourage investment. The government's strategic plan for the next few years focuses on further economic diversification promoting trade of all kinds, tourism, developing businesses, improving education for local people and creating more job opportunities in the private sector for Emiratis. So that gives plenty of reasons for doing business in the UAE. All those gleaming office towers and five-star hotels are clear proof that most of the multinationals and thousands of small businesses have already moved in. So why not you? Well, unfortunately, it's not as straightforward to set up a business as one might be led to believe. There are restrictions, licenses, and a wealth of bureaucracy to overcome. But the advantages of zero taxes and a rich and growing market can make it all worthwhile. Talking to me about it in this podcast is Jenny Hunt. Jenny's curriculum is very impressive. She's ranked in Forbes' top 100 most influential women in the Middle East. She's CEO today's 2019 Business Awards winner. She's also a best-selling author, an international speaker, and she regularly provides briefings to missions and delegations about setting up and doing business in Abu Dhabi. As a founding partner and the CEO of the Gateway Group of companies based in Abu Dhabi, Jenny helps companies of all kinds navigate the complexities, get established successfully throughout the UAE. So when it comes to this subject, I think she knows it all. Take a listen. So Jenny, thank you very much for joining me here today on the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really happy to participate. So you run Gateway Partners. You're really a specialist in um, setting up businesses in the UAE. 
correct? Yes, that's correct. We help foreign companies that are looking to come and work in the UAE to either set up onshore or in one of the numerous free zones. Right. So why do companies want to expand to the UAE in the first place? Let's sort of start with the basic principle. Okay, so the, the UAE is attractive market to foreign companies because it's a very young country. And I think if you look back over the last 20 years, you can see the massive growth that's happened in both Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And it's continuing still as well. So companies see opportunities here. And there's a very positive attitude in doing business here as well. Um, if you can dream it, you can make it happen is is often heard here. And um, also the, the other huge advantage, apart from the year-round sunshine, is that it's also tax-free as well. So companies particularly like not having to pay corporation tax. Um, there are obviously um, positives and negatives as with everything, um, but not having to pay um, corporation tax is, is a key advantage. And also for employees that companies might either bring over or appoint in, in country, they also don't pay income tax. So so there's, there's a lot of advantages. And certainly people don't like paying tax if they can help avoid it, that's for sure. Um, so we're talking about the UAE as if it is a market in its own right, which it is. Um, how big a market is it? Um, it's difficult to say because there are so many different elements to it. Um, the UAE is a country and the UAE is individual emirates. So the UAE is made up of seven um, different emirates. The most popular ones and most well-known ones are Dubai and Abu Dhabi. But then within those emirates, there are lots of free zones as well. And they're independent, operated um, and run. So it's very difficult to say how big the, the market is here because it's split up into so many different, um, different jurisdictions if you like. Right. But if a company expands to one of the Emirates, can they trade across all the other six? Unfortunately not. So this is a common misconception here. Um, a business license is issued by jurisdiction and it doesn't actually cover you to work throughout the whole of the UAE. So for example, if you're working in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, then you would need to have a license in both of those Emirates. And equally, if you were working in a number of different free zones, then really you should have a license in each of the free zones where you're operating. So it's very much by jurisdiction. Equally, uh, for free zone entities, they the licenses cover for the particular geographical area of the free zone that's issuing that license and to work with overseas companies, but the free zone companies can't actually step on shore and operate on shore unless via a company which has the license that's issued by the onshore regulator, which is the Department of Economic Development here. That said, there is an opportunity now for some free zone entities to be able to step on shore via a scheme called a dual license. Uh, it's not available to all free zone companies, so it's uh, done by activity. And there are terms and conditions that those companies need to meet and adhere to. But it's a, a good way for free zone companies to potentially step on shore and then be able to take advantage of larger opportunities because of the, the larger geographical area. And it also would enable them to work directly with government as well. Okay, so for our listeners who by now um, might be a little confused by all of this, can you help uh, help? differentiate between why one would want an onshore company or a free trade zone company because a free trade zone is 
is is a physical is a physical area in one of the Emirates, right, within which companies trade. But those ones, from my recollection, um, can't, as you said earlier, by definition, trade within the Emirates or onshore unless they have a separate license. Correct? That's correct, yes. Why would you want to set up in a free trade zone to start with? Okay, so the free zones are very popular for foreign companies coming into the UAE because they get to own the free zone entity 100%. Whereas if you have an onshore license, currently there's a requirement to engage with a local partner in some form. Um, Owning your business 100% is obviously massively attractive. And we mentioned then the restriction of the boundaries of the free zones. Now, quite often the free zones are set up by sector. So to give you a couple of examples, um, in Abu Dhabi, we have a free zone called 2454, which is a media free zone. And that tends to attract media uh, clusters of organizations. So it could be anything from a photographer through to a filmmaker, PR and marketing companies, those types of businesses. And what you find is they tend to work amongst themselves and they engage each other's services. So in that instance, it would make sense if you are engaged in some kind of media-related activity. That's where you're going to be based and you're going to find your immediate suppliers. But equally, there are free zones um, across the UAE covering all sorts of different sectors. In Dubai, for example, we have Healthcare City, Knowledge Village, Internet City. Uh, There's so many different ones, but very often by sector. Right, but if one set up a company in one of these free trade zones, as we say, are those companies then limited in what they can sell? They can only sell to other companies in that free zone or can they sell anywhere else? Strictly speaking, yes. Um, they can sell to other organizations within that uh, free zone. Alternatively, they can uh, appoint an agent if they're wanting to take goods from the free zone onto the mainland, but they can't do it directly. Or alternatively, as we discussed earlier, they could look at uh, setting up a a dual license, which would give them the option to then be onshore and then take their goods onshore that way. Now, I have heard that um, companies, and I've worked with companies that have wanted to set up in a free zone in the UAE in order really as a sort of staging post, as a central hub point to be able to actually um, sell goods or services to other countries. Uh, is that common? It's very common. Um, I think because the UAE is so easy to get to in terms of um, transportation, flights, shipping, etc. It's attractive in that sense. And so companies see it very much as a regional hub in order to reach out from from this across the GCC and also to to the Far East as well. So um, I would say it's very common and particularly for, for the free trade zones as well. Uh, they attract a lot of people looking for that type of scenario or people that are looking to have a visa here as well. Right. And if you set up in a free zone, if we go back to this media um, example that you said earlier, so for example, a photographers or a group of photographers or videographers um, set up in Media City. Can they also sell to other 
to, to businesses in other free zones or only in that free zone without a special license? The, the license is issued for that specific free zone. So um, they would be able to um, sell their services within that particular free zone or provide their services within that free zone. So for example, if um, I was a company wanting to engage a photographer and I perhaps had some products that I wanted them to shoot for me, I could take those products into the free zone where their studio is and they could work for me that way because they're actually providing their service within the free zone. So it's very much about where the service is provided. Okay, um, because it sounds very uh, restrictive and bureaucratic, but so many businesses do set up in the UAE. I'm guessing that there's a sorts of um, hurdles that can easily be solved. Yes, and I think it depends on the nature of the business, how it's actually operating, what it's trying to do here. So free zones are, are really easy and straightforward for some organisations that really don't need to be working on the mainland. So perhaps if you were um, an import-export company, um, it, it's absolutely ideal. Alternatively, um, for those companies which are needing to work perhaps across a free zone and um, onshore, uh, there is now the option, depending upon the, the nature of their business, to get an additional license. Or alternatively, there are agents and distributors that you can work with that can take goods on shore for you. So I worked with a company um, a year or two back. Um, I even wrote an article on, uh, which is elsewhere on Grow International. The about uh, a company that wanted to set up in Dubai as it was uh, for specific reasons um, because they had staff going there, expat staff going there and they could set up there. Um, but they wanted to trade across the UAE and they crept in across the GCC, but they were in a restrictive business area which um, meant that if they traded onshore, um, they needed to have at least 50% foreign ownership or local ownership. Um, is that common or are the restrictions on foreign ownership getting relaxed? So at the moment, um, there are tight restrictions on uh, the levels of foreign ownership. So there, there are two main legal structures for foreign companies who are wanting to set up on the mainland in the UAE, the foreign branch and the limited liability company. And with both of those structures, there's a requirement to engage with a local partner, so an Emirati partner, and that can be either an Emirati individual or it could be um, a company which is 100% owned by Emiratis. Now, the foreign branch structure is quite nice for service type companies and it enables the overseas parent company to own the foreign branch 100%. So although there's a relationship with a local partner, in, in that instance called a service agent, the, the local partner doesn't actually own any share in the business. It's purely to facilitate the company having that type of structure. Now, for the limited liability company, the LLC, there is a requirement to engage with a local sponsor, as they're referred to here. And the local sponsor would hold 51% um, of the shares business. So that can seem quite daunting to foreign companies coming in, especially, for example, the UK, you're used to owning a business 100%. So there are a couple of ways to look at it. 
in that um, you can either look at engaging an Emirati partner who's going to be actively involved in your business, or there are organizations that will provide nominee services. So the Emirati partner is, is a silent partner in the business. Um, and there are, there are ways to mitigate the risks that are involved, obviously, with, with appointing a, a partner to work in that way so that you maintain the corporate management, um, operational control of the business. So obviously, that's very important. And also how you structure the profits so that you can retain the profits as well. Um, there is a new law that's currently in the process of being implemented, which came into force at the very end of 2018, which is called the Foreign Direct Investment law and this was uh, drawn up and implemented to encourage foreign direct investment into the UAE and to boost the, the local economy here and the purpose of this law is really to open up the current restrictions to allow foreign companies to have a greater share of businesses. Now it's currently in implementation stage and the, the rights currently are with the governments of the individual emirates and they are currently in the process of deciding of the activities that have been selected to be opened up to foreign uh, increased levels of foreign ownership, what those levels are going to be. So it's not going to be the same sort of blanket levels necessarily across the whole of the UAE. Um, Abu Dhabi might decide that it wants to open up the foreign ownership levels perhaps more than another of the emirates. So we're waiting to see how those are, are, are going to be structured. But once the, the levels are opened up so that the local partner has a reduced shareholding, then it will certainly be more attractive to foreign investors coming into the market here. Absolutely, I can understand that. So if you're a foreign company and you're faced with uh, the need to have um, Emirati ownership of part ownership of the company, how does one go about finding um, a suitable partner without necessarily knowing one to begin with? Well, that's always a bit of a tricky question, to be honest. Um, I meet a lot of companies that come in and perhaps they come with a trade delegation or they've come to participate in an exhibition here, or perhaps they're even just coming to do um, a recce of the opportunities that are available for their business. And so when uh, companies come on those types of trips, they will deliberately set up as many meetings as possible with perhaps lawyers, um, accounting firms, uh, perhaps their local trade and uh, enterprise organizations. And usually those types of organizations will connect them with potential local partners. Um, again, depending on what the business is really looking for uh, in the local partner relationship. So there's different ways that companies could be introduced to local partners. Equally, they, they could be at a networking event and, and meet an Emirati partner that way. Uh, it can happen in so many different ways. Quite often we find that uh, organizations which have connections already within the region or within the UAE specifically, um, they will be introduced by those connections to local partners or potential local partners. So people generally will draw on wherever they have the connections to, to try and get the introductions. Okay. Is that also something that you can help with? Yes, my organisation provides this as a service. So we provide what is called a corporate nominee 
uh, local sponsor service. And this means that uh, local foreign companies that are coming into the market here, if they come and speak with my organization and they wanted to engage with us, we provide a nominee structure, which means that we don't step into their business. We structure the agreements in such a way that they have full control of the business. And we also structure the agreements so that they maintain all of the profits from the business and that their assets are protected. So our approach is very much providing asset and profit protection to the foreign company coming in. Clearly very important if you're moving in, I would think. That would be the biggest thing. The availability of that would be the biggest single encouragement to actually um, going ahead and making it happen or removing the biggest single discouragement. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, earlier on you talked about the fact there were, you know, seven emirates and uh, all of these free zones um, in each of them and so forth. How does one go about choosing where? Okay, so choosing which jurisdiction or which free zone to set up in really comes down to a couple of questions. So the first one would be, do you know who your target market is and who your anticipated clients are going to be? So for example, if you are looking to work with uh, the public sector, so government departments or semi-government departments, then that really determines that you need to have an onshore license. It isn't sufficient to be having a free zone license unless it's an activity that's enabling you to then have the the dual license um, option. So you really have to have an onshore license that's issued by the Department of Economic Development. If you're not looking to work directly with the government and you're looking to work with private sector companies, then the second question to ask is, where are those companies actually located? So, uh, for example, if you were perhaps providing goods into the hospitality industry, you'd be looking at where those hotels are going to be based. And typically, they are, they're on the mainland. It's not to say that there aren't hotels within, within certain free zones, but the majority of them are going to be on the mainland. So in that instance, you would most likely opt for a mainland license. But if you were perhaps a, a tech-based company, you might look at setting up in one of the free zones, such as um, Internet City, for example, because that is the hub for all of the technology-based companies there. And that those companies might be who your potential clients are going to be. So really, it's identifying who your typical client or who your target market is going to be and finding out then where they're located. And that would determine where you should get your license issued. Right. Okay. It's uh, it's obviously a, a big decision-making process in every sense. Um, and I can certainly see the need for uh, people like you to uh, help uh, businesses uh, resolve these issues and to even decide whether to go ahead in the first place and where to actually go to. But I'm guessing from just from looking at the uh, amazing growth in places like Dubai and Abu Dhabi that uh, there are huge opportunities and clearly um, large numbers of international businesses have flocked there, um, making it a sort of Hong Kong of the Middle East in a way. And uh, maybe Hong Kong's perhaps not quite the right comment at the moment. Let's call it to Singapore because it's very stable, right? Yes. So particularly in in the Middle East as a region, uh, for 
companies and individuals that aren't particularly familiar with the area, I suppose the, the local news will dictate that it's a particularly unstable area to be doing business. The UAE itself is actually a very, very stable con country. Um, it's a sovereign country, it's politically stable, and it's financially stable as well. So there's a lot of wealth here. Um, and the, the local population, so the, the nationals, the Emiratis, are very well looked after by the government here, which also helps in terms of the stability here. And through uh, reports that get uh, put together on an annual basis, the, the youth and the sort of the under 25s across the region, they all aspire to be living and working in the UAE. Well, all aspire is probably um, a little bit uh, of a, too much of an emphasis there, but the UAE is very highly ranked among the younger generation in terms of the place where they want to live and work. So it's very attractive across the region as well. Is that because of uh, unbroken sunshine, the costs, the low taxes, combination of everything? I think so. Um, the UAE is obviously a holiday destination as well as being a business destination, so it has that um, on its side. Um, yes, the fact that there aren't any taxes here is definitely attractive. Um, but I think also that um, it's very forward thinking in terms of where the country is going. There are plans in place that are economically based for, for example, Dubai has um, a 2021 plan. There's an energy 2050 plan in place. Abu Dhabi has its economic vision 2030. So the development of the different Emirates is very structured. And you can see this and how it's grown over the last 20 to 30 years and I think as a result of that it has a strong economy here and so that's what makes it attractive to people. And how about getting workers? Um, everyone knows about expats moving to um, the Emirates and that a lot of the workforce um, come from elsewhere. Is there a lot of workforce churn or does one have to actually uh, and is it possible easily to hire the sort of people you need there or is it a matter of bringing in expats or um, recruiting from abroad? I think that's going to come down to the nature of the your particular industry. There is a there is a big talent pool here and I would say it's also a well-educated talent pool of expats here. Typically, uh, we find that expats come in usually on a two to five year plan. And the plan is that they'll come here, they'll save lots of money due to their not being income taxed here, and then the plans to leave. And for a lot of people, that's how it works out. But equally, for a lot of people, they get swept up in the lifestyle here and they will then end up staying for 20, 30 years. Um, so for organizations that are looking to come in, there's definitely a large expat talent pool here. And particularly, I would say in Dubai, because it's an attractive destination where expats naturally tend to go towards perhaps before some of the other Emirates. So there's definitely the talent pool here, but that's not to say that companies don't bring in from overseas, they do. Um, and particularly in sectors such as perhaps uh, construction, because labor is cheaper from overseas, so they will bring in um, that type of labor. Equally on the other end of the scale, if you were looking for um, high-tech high white-collar workers, if it was something particularly specific that you were looking for, then it might mean that you do need to search wider and bring somebody in. Okay. 
How would you, how would you rank the sort of proportion of people who are actually um, native Emirati to expats? Because visibly, it's not. It's difficult for me to tell. Okay, so um, it's approximately fifteen to twenty percent of the nation here is Emirati. So it's a massive expat community. Mm. Um, so the the workforces here are very expat dominated, and typically, or traditionally, I should say, the the national workforce tended to opt for government type roles. So if you were um, perhaps processing licenses or working in an, um, with any of the government departments as your clients, that's where you would really find your interactions with with Emirati workers. Um, however, as is typical across the region, the, the government here really is encouraging Emiratis to move into the private sector. They're also encouraging entrepreneurship here as well, because there are obviously only so many government jobs available. So there is a program here called Emiratization, and that is to encourage private sector companies to employ Emiratis to work within their organizations. For some sectors, there are very specific quotas that are required to be met. Um, and, but this isn't the same for, for perhaps smaller SMEs that are coming into the market. You aren't expected to employ Emiratis based on the, the current regulations. But it is favorable to you if you do in the mm -hmm. sense that you'll find that perhaps work permit and visa-related services, you'll pay a much reduced fee if you have a certain percentage of Emiratis within your payroll. Right. Really interesting. Um, so there's lots of good reasons for going. Lots of companies do go um, to the UAE. Lots of companies do expand there. And I know that many of the um, businesses and people from businesses listening to this podcast are likely to be um, considering going to the UAE sooner or later. Uh, but as you've pointed out, there's an awful lot of um, decisions to be made and things to be got right. I suspect an awful lot of people get things wrong. What are the mistakes that they make? Uh, I think the biggest mistake that I experience people making is those people that come into the market here and have done zero due diligence. Um, and it amazes me how many companies do this as well, and sometimes quite sizable com uh, companies. And they perhaps identify an opportunity or perhaps they have been lucky enough to already win a contract. They come in, they set up their business but have not considered anything in relation to the contract. So the sorts of things that you need to consider are if you're coming in on the mainland, who that local partner is going to be. Don't just jump in with the first person that you meet. Um, looking at the regulations in terms of the labor law, so what the requirements are going to be for the company in terms of employing staff and what their obligations are. Um, and also understanding exactly how much it's going to cost to, to come into the country and set up. So um, it's very different setting up a business in the in the UAE as opposed to somewhere like the UK, for example. Setting up a business in the UK is relatively quick and inexpensive, but setting up a business here would be considered bureaucratic in comparison. Um, so there's a lot of legal documents that would need to be drafted. Those would then need to be uh, notarized and tested in the, the home jurisdiction wherever that company is based. And then they would also um, 
need to incur fees related to those services. And sometimes those fees, before the documents even arrive in the UAE, can be several hundreds and going into the thousands. From personal experience, I mean, if you want to get a, a, a many documents, for example, for um, the UAE have to not only be notarized, uh, but before they can be notarized, they have to get an app of steel, um, which can cost £75 if you walk it round, and then you've got to uh, get notarization, which can be, you know, maybe £200. And even then, it's then got to be legalized by the UAE embassy for another £500 before you can dispatch it. So you've easily spent £1,000 on one document. Exactly. It, it, the costs do build up considerably. And I think this is what people don't anticipate before mm. they come here. Um, I think they they just think it's going to be the same same structure to set up as as it perhaps was where wherever their company is currently based. Um, and also the other key factor to bear in mind here is how long it's going to take as well. So getting your legal documents drafted and then going through that process that you've just described, that there's a certain time scale that's related to that. And that really, we haven't even started the incorporation process here in the country at that point. So it can take a little bit of time and it can be quite expensive. And another thing that companies um, aren't necessarily familiar with or aware of that jump in is that with uh, licenses here, there's a requirement to have a commercial premise. So when companies are coming into the market and they're trying to keep costs low and perhaps they're not going to have somebody on the ground full time in the early days, there's a requirement to still have a commercial premise. And that will relate directly to the activities that the company is involved in. So if it's a consultancy type company, then it will just be an office space. But if it was perhaps a trading company in some form, then they might need a shop or a warehouse. And those rents can um, obviously escalate as well. So there, there's a lot of different things to consider. Um, and I think it's just coming into the market, having your eyes wide open, meeting with organizations such as mine or with your local trade and investment organization or even uh, local providers such as lawyers, accountants, etc. as I mentioned earlier, and asking the right questions. And even that can be difficult, not knowing necessarily what questions to ask. But I would say those types of questions that should be asked are things related to employing staff and what the ongoing obligations are. So, for example, when you're employing um, an expatriate in the country here, there's a requirement to also supply them with health insurance, yes. uh, and that can be quite expensive as well. Yeah. So that's not necessarily a requirement in other countries. So it's these little add-ons that you need to be aware of from, from the outset. And speaking to organizations that are already on the ground here, they can open your eyes and identify these extra things that, that you might encounter. So businesses that receive emails like the one I got the other day from a company formation agent in the UAE saying, your company in 24 hours um, shouldn't really sort of believe exactly what they read and they certainly and even if they try and take the fast route they should beware and uh, definitely do their due diligence before they embark on it rather than just leap in onto the first quick cheap solution that 
presents itself because it won't be as quick and cheap as it looks anyway. Absolutely spot on. Um, there are licenses here which are called instant licenses, but you will have needed to have taken your company through the, the legal document drafting process and the notarization and attestations first before you can even get to that point. And with those licenses, for example, yes, you will get it the same day, but then you still have ongoing obligations to follow through with after that, which will involve attending the notary in the UAE to do the signing of the mm-hmm. memorandum of association, still to organize your premises. It just means that they give you a little bit of extra time to complete those actions. Um, so it isn't necessarily as straightforward as you mentioned. And in terms of perhaps companies that are saying, yes, we'll do it really really cost effectively for you Uh, from my experience there's a lot of hidden costs that aren't necessarily divulged up front so in that instance um, my suggestions to companies looking to come in the types of costs that you need to ensure are covered are things like your full license cost um, the registration of your entity in labor and immigration once your license has been issued and then full visa costs That will be quite tricky until you're actually in the position of bringing a staff member in or uh, onboarding somebody because there are a lot of variables which can change the the prices of visas depending upon the individual's specific uh, circumstances. Um, But the other types of costs to consider are also the what we call disbursements, so legal translations. So documents will need to be in dual text if Arabic isn't the, the first or fluent language of a company Mm -hmm. coming to do business here. Um, Notary public, um, you'll need things like company stamps. And we haven't even touched upon opening a bank account here yet. Um, (laughs) But you're you're going to need a bank account and that can be particularly tricky to open. And we're finding that due to uh, central bank regulations getting tighter and tighter, the corporate governance requirements of the banks here are becoming um, greater all the time. So it means that opening of bank accounts is getting slower and slower here as well. And in addition, the the cost of running a bank account um, can be quite expensive in comparison to what you might be paying elsewhere as well. So these are all sort of extra things that you need to take on board. So as I regularly tell people on these podcasts and in uh, meetings that I have, don't try and do it on your own. You need help and you need to actually talk to somebody who really sort of knows the ground and um, knows everything that's involved and actually been there and done that, like you, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be very nice. We do meet people that do try and run off and do it on their own, and we generally find that several months later they will come back to us for assistance and to help them unravel the mess that has generally been created, which is really unfortunate. Um, but also, if you are engaging an organization like mine, what you will generally find is we will take away the hassle that's involved of setting up the entity for you. So you won't need to go and navigate the different government departments. You'll find here that a lot of the applications need to be in Arabic. So my organization have Arabic speakers, so we will be able to take care of all of that for you. So it just removes that burden so that the foreign company coming in can really focus on what they should be focusing on, which is developing their business. Excellent. So listeners, 
If you're interested in going ahead in the UAE, you can get in touch with Jenny using links um, and numbers that you'll actually find on the page accompanying this podcast on www.growinternational.org and in that um, page you'll find more supporting information and useful links. Jenny, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been fascinating. Um, really interesting topic. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate and give a little bit of an insight into doing business in the UAE. It might sound quite bureaucratic, but once you can jump over all of those initial hurdles, it's a great place to live and work. And that I think says it all. Thank you again, Jenny. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles, and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos, and podcasts, and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think.